This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The nice thing about a podcast is when we start recording 45 minutes late because of me, nobody on a podcast is able to tell it's not like, ah, oh, we're waiting around for this idiot to start this live show. I just have to out myself as being somebody who held up both of your days today. And I uh, feel really bad about it. I mean, you sh- shouldn't. You don't need to lead with this. We could have just kept this on the cutting room floor. I can't. You know? I'm too wrapped with guilt over uh, overthrowing off your days today. I'm sorry. Sorry. As you should be. As you should be. And I think shame is a emotion that we need to embrace more often. You know, uh, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Within yeah. ourselves. I don't believe in societal shaming because I feel shame could come from within. I don't feel it should be imposed upon us by others. So I'm glad you're feeling this very um, healthy emotion. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Listen, man, I, I come from an Irish Catholic family, at least half of it. You don't have to tell me about feeling shame. Same. Like, that's just, yeah. Same. I think we carry way. with us at all times. And my other half is an Italian Catholic family. So I have, I have guilt uh, all over the place. So it's great. Um, so uh, we welcome you to this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. My name is Tyler Mon alongside Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill. Yeah, I had a very long story short. I had a long morning of getting a car to the mechanic and then getting home to my house and realizing that I had left my laptop somewhere else and so i had to go and get my life there's a whole thing but we were supposed to record this at one o'clock eastern time and uh it is now 1 50 eastern time and we're just starting and so i felt the need to absolve myself by admitting my grief and my guilt to my two co-hosts who as you could tell both very supportive and very helpful and communicative as we welcome you into this week's edition of the official podcast of minor league baseball we've got A ton to cover today, some stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week uh, and uh, things that will impact the 2022 season at the minor league level from rules changes uh, to stuff you'll see on the field, Um, the new top 100 prospects list, which is out, which we'll talk about coming up here in a little bit. Um, But first off. How are you guys doing? We're we're 10 days out from opening day. Essentially, it's uh, it is now March 25th. April 5th is when AAA will kick things off. You guys getting ready? Excited? Well, you know, I was going to let Sam speak because his microphone was unmuted, but um, <laughs> you, know, you were just uh, laying back, waiting for me to unmute and hop in there, which I was glad to do. But yeah, I'm doing all right. It's, uh, yeah, this is a rare, uh, rare occasion. It's like bringing it back to the peak pandemic days. We are all in, uh, you know, if not our own homes, we are all in separate homes right now doing this entirely through Zoom. And uh, yeah, it's a Friday. Spring is starting to be in the air here on the East Coast. As Tyler said, season starting in a couple of weeks. Um, time of transition and uh, rebirth, renewal, revigorating. I like it. Yeah, um, I mean, one thing we should note yeah. here is that this is episode 350. It is! Like, is a nice round number. I don't know if 350 like really pops in the way that like 300 or 400 will, but I don't know. It feels like a we thing like we round just number podcast. Yeah. Yeah. 350 is a lot. 
So that is true. Um, although I will say that I saved last week's episode as 350 on my computer. Was that 349? Because I've been meaning to talk to you about this, Tyler, and we might as well do it in front of all the folks. There was we had that special episode. A That's what it back. was. That's what it was. And so yeah. I've actually been saving. I don't even remember which one that was. Now was, I need to change. Uh, Ghost of the Miners special. Right, 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 right. Uh, and I saved that as its own number, but that was a special edition show. So that was technically three forty nine last week's. This is three fifty this week, which is funny because when I was saving it, I was like, oh, we didn't even mention that this is episode three fifty um, because it wasn't because this is. So congratulations to all of us. As Ben uh, deemed it yesterday in our our group Slack, we're coming up on uh, on Greg Maddox in the uh, in the all time wins column. Yeah, and Roger Clemens and Roger, Roger Clemens three fifty four, Maddox three fifty five. Um, coming for you, dudes. You know, because I was trying to think three fifty. That's a hallowed number in some degree, and baseball loves numbers. But then right off the top of my head, I couldn't come up with like, you know being in the 350 club home runs or wins. I mean, it's a lot more impressive with wins, but I couldn't think of 350 having in and of itself a particular uh, resonance, but I was thinking who has more than 350 wins? Not many people. Not many. And probably Maddox never and anybody again. Too. Yeah, probably not. Cause you know, who is the all time uh, active wins leader right now is um, Verlander with 226. Right. And uh, I'd like to believe that guy's got some, in his advanced age, he has some life left in him, but I don't think he has, professionally speaking, um, what would that be? 70, uh, 74 more wins, wins left? He would yeah. have to put up three 25-win seasons or four 20-win seasons, essentially, to surpass that? Yeah, wow. it's uh, 300 it wins. It's just not really going to happen. There's barely any 200-game winners. I mean, him and Greinke and... I'm not even sure who else. And, you know, I asked this trivia question on Twitter last week, not to immediately go down a rabbit hole. There's only one player who has 100 or more wins and losses and a losing record. Active player. Ooh. That's a good question. You said he was a first-round pick then? He was, yeah. Huh. A first-round draft pick of the New York Yankees. Uh, man, I am, I am not, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm blanking. Been a reliever much more often in more recent years. End up uh, on the Phillies at the end of last year. Your friend and mine, Ian Kennedy, 100 wins. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. 100 wins, 106 losses. Only one in triple digits in both categories and a losing record overall. Wow. Yeah. I know Ian Kennedy's been around a, a while. He just he did not come into my brain as like somebody who could have 100 wins. Even. So. 100 on the nose. There you go. Interesting. Yeah, I would not have guessed that. Um, but those are the things we love to do in baseball with weird numbers and, uh, and little benchmarks. And we have hit one of those for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Very exciting. 350 episodes. Um, and we got a ton of stuff to get to here on this week's episode. You can get in touch with the show as always podcast at milb.com you can find us on twitter at ben's biz at sam dykstra milb and at tyler mon and of course minor league baseball is at milb um and let's dive right in let's talk about some on-field stuff as we kick off this week's episode of the show we have rules changes galore in minor league baseball experimental rules rolling out for the 2022 season pitch clocks larger bases defensive positioning changes otherwise known as the shift ban uh and the automatic ball strike system um we're going to run through them each 
individually some of the details. On-field clocks will be used for the pitch timers at all full-season affiliates uh, to enforce regulations designed to create a crisp pace of play, according to our press release, uh, NMILB.com. Let's emphasize the enforce regulations part of this because I feel like people generally think baseball is the sport without a clock. There shouldn't be a clock. There's no clock on the rules, blah, blah, blah. There are time regulations in the rule books in minor league baseball and in major league baseball. The addition of clocks is to enforce those. It's not as though the rules have never been there. This is not a new rule in terms of timing entirely. It is in terms of the visibility of pitch timers. Uh, those rules were used in low A West and in the Arizona fall league in 2021. Uh, they led to a reduction in average game time of more than 20 minutes. I remember talking to a low a west broadcaster last year who said like sometimes i feel like i'm not even into the flow of a broadcast because we'll have games that are done in like two hours and 20 minutes because they just speed by so quickly uh with the the pace of play now improved uh due to the pitch timers larger bases uh the bags first second and third base will be increased from 15 inches square to 18 inches square at full season affiliates this is due to two different things. Uh, reducing injuries is one aim of this. Guys can step more to the outside of a bag, not worry about stepping on a fielder, vice versa, uh, not worry about getting their hands stepped on if they're trying to steal a base. And that, stealing bases, is also uh, an element of this as well. Uh, according to the press release, quote, the reduction in distance between bases led to a modest increase in the rate of successful stolen base attempts. So teams might gamble, players might gamble a little bit more. Defensive positioning, I know, is something that we're going to talk a lot about. Um, double A, high A, and low A. The defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield with at least two infielders completely on either side of second base. So at double A, high A, and low A, no more three guys on one side of the infield, one on the other. I personally am not a huge fan of banning the shift, but we'll we'll discuss that. And then uh, the automated ball strike system in select games in triple A and the low A Southeast. Uh, robot umpires, quote unquote, for lack of a better term. ABS technology will be used to call balls and strikes. It was used in the Independent Atlantic League in 2019 as kind of a testing ground. It was rolled down in select games in low A Southeast and in the AFL uh, in 2021. Um, guys, give me your thoughts. I don't know who wants to jump in first, but um, you know, just kind of take me through the things that stand out most uh, among these, the thing you're most excited to see implemented, the thing you've got questions about implementation. Uh, let's hear it. Yeah, I think the thing I'm most excited to see is, is just picking up where you left off with the ABS system um, is one detail that's going to be completely new. We have not seen this. I don't, I, I don't believe we've seen this anywhere yet. It's the challenge system uh, coming to the Florida State League, formerly Low A Southeast, formerly Florida State League. Um, so in select games this year, and the, the release doesn't say exactly when, so we're going to have to find out what that means. But um, umpires are going to call balls and strikes, human umpires, based on what they see. And each team is going to have three appeals or three challenges. Uh, the pitcher, catcher, or the batter can appeal. It's not like the third baseman can say, I think that was a strike or something. It has to be one of those three guys. But any of those three guys can challenge a ball strike call. Uh, and then it will go to the ABS system. So it's kind of more of a backup than driving the system. I, this is feels like an alteration of some of the rules we've seen so far um, and, and maybe more of a hybrid approach using the robot umpires, which I know, you know, human umpires don't necessarily love the system because they're the ones who get blamed, even though they're just listening to a, you know, a headphone that they have in place and, and you know, it, it goes to an iPhone in their pocket. Um, it, it allows some humanity in the game, but it also allows some intrigue. The challenging a call, I, I think, could be fascinating. And 
because it's automatic and we know it immediately if it's a ball or a strike, hopefully this happens pretty quick. I mean, a lot of these rules are being put into place to increase the pace of play, to keep things moving. If we're going to have challenges, you would think that kind of we have to set aside time to do that. Hopefully it's pretty quick. Hopefully it's just like the catcher turns around and says, I'm challenging. The umpire puts, you know, uh, either I, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work. Another thing we have to kind of dig into, is it going to be, they go to the earpiece. Is it, they turn around and somebody in the press box says it was a ball or strike. I don't know what we'll to see, but it should be seconds. It should not take minutes to do. I'm this. a little bummed that there is no flag. No managers aren't going to be chucking a flag out there. I mean, that's a, like, I, I, I am interested to see exactly what this is going to look. I'm sure it's verbal. Yeah, I like, think it's just you call time and you know. I can't imagine everybody's going to be carrying a red flag in their back pocket. Now, one thing I'm interested to see is what is the and I know what it's going to be. It's going to be in this is an audio formatted podcast and I hate when people do visual things. But what is the visual signal that they're going to do? So Sam, huge soccer fan for a VAR review, the the people draw the little TV box, right? When when they want to review or when the official calls uh, shows to the camera that they're doing a review. He draws the little TV screen. In uh, in baseball, they do the earphone gesture, like put the headset on. We want to challenge that. What is it going to be in the minor leagues? Are we going to do that? Are we going to do the little TV screen? These are the things I think about. Yeah, I would imagine it's if it's in, since it's baseball, it is going to be the earmuffs. Be the headset. Yeah, oh, headset. That's a better way to put it. Earmuffs. Well, no, headset's the better way to put it because that's actually what's happening. Nobody's... Earmuffs draws it. You understand what we're saying, right, though, right, as we yeah. do this on a on an audio medium. I'm sure an umpire would love to have earmuffs so he doesn't have to hear the crap from either dugout. That's true. But, um, yeah, that would I would imagine it's going to be that. I'm sure because it's happening at Low A Southeast, it might be as simple as just like raising your hand, verbally saying we want a challenge. Um, uh, it's not going to be in these massive major league ballparks where sometimes you can't hear each other. But yeah, no, I'm fascinated by that. I, I do love this hybrid approach. I like it more than just doing robot umpires. Um, and, you know, well, I would love to see how it's going to be implemented. Like, do you, there's so much game theory here. Like, do you pocket it because you want to save your three challenges for later in the game in higher leverage situations? Or is it just going to be, hey, I really do think that was a strike. We're using it now, regardless. Because um, if, you're, if you're right, you get to keep it. If you're wrong, you lose it. So you could have six, seven challenges. As long as they're all right, you keep your, your total of three. Um, so this is just uh, something I'm fascinated to see how it's going to work out. A lot of these other things we've seen in other places, this is wholly new. Um, and I'm sure we're going to learn a little bit more about it as the season goes along. And once we actually see it implemented here in the first couple of weeks. And yeah, I'm excited for that one. Terrible well. at the challenges. Just want to jump in. You could still uh, win a Super Bowl as the head coach in Kansas City. <laughs> good bad challenge joke sorry ben i cut you off that's all right you had you had to get in the i had to a little bit of west fan and i am bitter but i I do like that aspect of um being able to challenge a ball and strike uh but not having the entire game turned over to something completely automated and you know that's something i read other people making uh this point but um you know, an umpire strike zone can perhaps shift a little bit during a game maybe it's a blowout maybe that you know a storm's coming in and you're trying to make it official and there might be kind of an understanding, <clears throat> okay, it's going to widen a bit or, you know, whatever. And um, I think it'd be a real shame to take that sort of human discretion away entirely in focus of a machine making all the calls, but yet to have 
the ability uh, in particularly egregious examples to perhaps override and add, a, add an element of intrigue to the game. And I would like to think these particular challenges go very quickly because, you know, as Sam said earlier, um, you don't want to add something else um, in an era of trying to think of shaving minutes off the game, something else that that adds to them even more. So I get that. But also going back to the, you know, just the, the uh, pitch clock, um, you know, and as Sam said, and you guys said, you know, there are really results last year in, and, uh, I think that is, is really promising, um, in terms of, I can't think of any other one thing that could potentially, you know, shave 15, 20, 25 minutes off a game and, um, you know, have it be as essentially as organic a way as possible to do that, um, seems to be via the pitch clock and yes, baseball's theoretically eternal a game could go forever and i've loved that there's no overriding clock but i also am of the opinion um the games have been too long for quite some time and you know sometimes i i don't really get in arguments on twitter but sometimes when people say if you think the game's too long then you're not a baseball fan and i disagree with that kind of stuff because i feel like you know i love a good epic game but a lot of games have become you know three hours and 40 minutes for just some run-of-the-mill six to two game in mid-july <clears throat> and is that really what we want is, is is i'm sorry if you're like the most beautiful fan and you've you've savored every pitch and every decision and all you know 220 minutes of a game on a tuesday night and we're able to stay up for the whole thing but i think if we can get back to the days when an average game is closer to two and a half hours um it's just really good for the sport and obviously a lot of people you know making decisions right now agree uh, with this, the, with that line of thinking, and um, yeah, I don't want to go down further tangents about all that, but I am all for ways to make the game close uh, quicker without um, you know compromising aspects of the sport that we all love, which is why it's always an argument because it's a delicate dance, and not everything's going to be done right. And that's what I like about the minor leagues is that you know it's it's lower profile, and you can experiment a little bit, and um, some of these things might get adopted. And I'm thinking in other years. Sometimes there've been rule changes where we're like, well, it's good the minors is, are trying this, but it'll never go to the major leagues. You know what we said that about for sure? We could probably dig up the tape. You know, this quote unquote ghost runners. We were I like, know oh, I said that. in the minor leagues. <laughs> I remember saying that, that repeatedly. In the minor leagues, uh, in a, a very specific to the minor leagues, which it did. But guess what? That's in the major leagues now. So I would yep. say never say never. Yeah. If, some, if a rule change appears in the minors, never say never. Uh, but it also might not work or, or, or be presumed to not as uh, have as much, much of an effect as they like and it and, and doesn't go forward. But uh, I, I like the spirit of like, let's try new things. And just so we go to like hard data here, Tyler mentioned that it shaved like 20 minutes. We'll put it this way. Low A East had an average time of three hours, five seconds for a nine inning game last year. Low A Southeast was three hours, 11 minutes. Now I'm choosing those two because they're on the same level as low A West, now the California League, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you, you guys want to guess what the average nine-inning game was in the California League last year? 235. I'm going to go 238. All right, so it was a little bit longer than that. It was two hours, 43 minutes. Okay. But still, still that's, that's, that's 22 minutes. Somebody's walking outside my door. Sorry, New York City. hear that. I know, baby. Um <laughs> But that's almost what thirty minutes, yeah, shorter than low A Southeast, yeah, um, yeah and it's twenty eight minute difference. Yeah, you go like the majors was three hours and ten. I, I don't want to necessarily compare those because they're like longer commercial breaks. There's lots right. of other things that can add time in the major leagues. But you look up and down the minors. I think only the Mexican League, maybe. Hey, we're talking about rules changes here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> 
A mom's from East Harlem, I can make that joke. <laughs> or only double A. I think double A was the only level that had hours or games averaging less than three hours last year. So wow. when we're talking two hours, 43 minutes, that's a, that's a significant chunk. Yeah. Um, and it affects a lot more people than just the players in the game. It affects people who work at the ballpark. It affects the neighborhood. Um, so uh, we'll see how this is going to go, but I, I am encouraged to see it across the board and see how things are going to drop everywhere this season. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, the next item that I think we should talk about is the uh, quote unquote defensive positioning rules changes, which as I noted, double A, high A and low A, the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield. So I'm assuming that means feet fully within the boundary of the infield on the dirt um, with at least two infielders completely on either side of second base. Now this is a line uh, from the, the press release that I had not really considered things in this light quote, these restrictions on defensive positioning are intended to allow infielders to better showcase their athleticism to increase batting average on balls and play and restore a more traditional set of aesthetics and outcomes on batted balls. Um, I am not a big fan of banning the shift, but I, even more than that, I'm kind of interested into how this is implemented. If you have both infielders on the left side, both infielders on the right side of second base, what does that mean? Can you be standing on the exact line of second base as it goes into center field? Technically you're on the the third base left field side of the bag when a pitcher goes into a delivery can you run across the bag so you are on the other side on the first base side how is this going to be enforced and uh how much of a difference is it really going to make i think that's ultimately the question yeah i think that's that's the big thing is is like it sounds good in theory is it going to be a more exciting game like are you going to be right. talking in june of saying like oh yeah there were a lot more balls in play and uh this was just a much greater product. Is the average fan going to notice that? Um, also, the way the game is being taught now, like I don't think people are going to chuck out player development strategies, which is primarily now to swing hard and give it your A-plus swing every time, um, trying to make hard contact, and trying try to, to force hit it, it through the, the infield. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of let's rip this single through the hole on the right side if you're a left-handed hitter. Right. I mean, maybe that'll change – generationally like maybe that'll take a few years to implement but if guys are are preparing to play in the major leagues which does not have this um people i've talked to like catchers i've talked to about catching under the abs system they've said i'm not going to change who i am as a catcher because of this system like it's it's great that it exists whatever it is what it is but i'm trying to make the major leagues they don't have this in the major leagues it's not going to help me to just chuck out framing uh for this so like if I'm a hitter, yeah, it's great that this exists. I might get a few extra hits, but I'm not going to just start trying to force it the other way and getting weak contact or, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to change who I am uh, just to get some extra hits in double A. And then all of a sudden I get to the majors and I'm hitting into the shift every time. Um, maybe if the that changes in the major league someday, we'll, we'll see that. But um, I think it's going to be a while before we really feel the effects of this one. Ben, any thoughts on the shift? Well, since we're all muted, I'll unmute and uh, say, like, you know, I don't want to get into a larger argument, and you guys pay more attention to on-field stuff than I do, um, obviously. But I'm all for banning the shift because you can call me an old man or not, but I just like looking at a field 
and seeing just as if I was playing, you know, on my uh, <clears throat> for Ambler Junior Baseball, uh, you know, at age 11, you know, I just like the field to kind of look what what it was when I was on the field, when I was what I associate just what nine you know, men, nine people on a field look like. And sometimes when I'm watching a game and there's just all that bunching and, you know, you have uh, whatever, you know, a, well, whatever. We, we know all the scenarios that have gone <laughs> that have gone through. It just, to me, is like, what? You know, and, you know, I don't know how many people keep score, but I'm like, wait, that was a pop-up to the second baseman, but he caught it or whatever the case may be. I, I like everyone kind of being in their own territory. And um I don't argue with the decisions that were made to start implementing them. I think it makes a lot of sense to do what works the best to the individual approach for each hitter, but um, anything to kind of revert to, um, you know, what a traditional infield alignment, it just aesthetically looks better. And I do hope, yeah, as you guys said, it's not going to change player development strategies, but maybe opens up a little bit, a little bit more of the, you know, old school strategy, uh, strategic thinking, uh, because you know the the fielders have to be played in a certain way. Uh, I would like to see the runners be able to move up a little bit more, a little more situa- situational hitting, you know, hitting runs not being something you might see once every three years at this point, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, does banning the shift just magically make things the way I want them to be, which is basically like the way things were 30 to 35 years ago when I was a lad? No, but, you know, anything, any, uh, any step we can make in the right direction is uh, good for me. Banning the shift isn't going to bring back Rocco's modern life then. Oh man, that was that was after my time. Come on, <laughs> that was, that was my time. Just like that was my know, Popeye, time. Popeye reruns. <laughs> um, speaking of baseball things that were um, brought into the culture thirty years ago, at what point? And I know I'm already past the point, but at what point, being children of the Griffey era? At what point am I not allowed to ever wear a hat backwards again? I think we've had this conversation before on the show. The other day I was in a store. I was delighted to see a couple of kids. They're probably like 10, 11, 12 baseball playing kids. They had uniforms on. They had just come from a game or something. Um, and they had their hats back uh, on backwards. I was very happy about it. But I had mine on backwards too. And I was like, one of us is wrong. And I know it's me. I know you two are allowed to do this. Just because I was a kid when Griffey made this cool, I'm 36 now. I probably should not be doing this anymore, right? Why? Why is it not cool? Or why? Why can't you do it? It's still cool. I'm not cool, <laughs> so I can't. I can't be doing. I'm like a middle-aged man now. I can't be getting away with wearing my hat backwards, can I? I think if your actions tried to make it seem like you were cool, like okay. see, I'm, I've got my hat on backwards, aren't I? Like you're just strutting around the grocery store. Acting just, like you own the joint, then I'm, then I would have a problem with it. But. I just worry about being Steve Buscemi in that. How do you do, fellow kids? Uh, I worry about that being me. Well, did you skateboard to the to the shop? And like, I carried it over my shoulder, and I said yeah. to him, "How do you?" Do Again, that? actions speak louder than words. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on and talk some promos. We've been having so much fun, uh, Sam. You missed out on this last week. We did double A without you. Um, sucks for you, but uh, we're going to include you in our fun and witty banter about the best high A promotions of the 2022 season benjamin hill kick us off yeah well you know uh as has been the case all month i'm filling out my 2022 promo spreadsheet we talked about uh some of the stuff i've uncovered in triple a two weeks ago double a last week and now yes high a promo so i'm taking a look at my spreadsheet right now and just going to throw some at you guys that uh i found interesting um the spokane indians 
May 18th, Field of Greens, Field of Green Sweepstakes. And I believe they may have done this before, but the Field of Green Sweepstakes is where you can uh, enter as a fan into the sweepstakes and the winner gets the grounds crew for a day to do like a personal project at home. I guess, you know, do, do your yard. I see Tyler as a- That is amazing. Yeah, as a homeowner or now, you know, getting a new house from one to another. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Sam and I as an apartment dwellers uh, might not really <laughs> think like, what are we going to do with a grounds crew? Like, like can they paint? Can they yeah, do indoor tasks? Like, yeah, you want to take out the trash or something? But um, yeah, I, I think that's a cool thing. I mean, obviously you have to clear with your grounds crew first, or I, I hope you do. But, you know, kind of getting them away from the ballpark and, um, you know, utilizing their services uh, for a fan uh, beautification project. It's just one of those kind of quirky ideas. I don't think it's entirely new, but but I'm a fan of that for sure. I want to DM Spokane and see if I can fly their guys out here You're like if i enter is travel included in this uh i do one of my best friends here in denver hosts an afternoon sports talk radio show and he had the uh, the rockies head grounds crew guy on a show a couple of years ago and he asked him like two questions about it was after they did the uh one of the nhl outdoor games uh between the avalanche and the red wings at coors field and he asked him about you know getting the grounds ready for that and everything and he said like i'm gonna ask you two questions then i'm just gonna ask you a ton of questions about my lawn and that was the whole interview it was just my buddy nate uh, asking grounds questions of a groundskeeper about his own grass. That's what I would do. <laughs> so you got it all planned out. Well, head, yeah. to Spokane. head to Spokane, Washington, May 18th. Um, also in the Northwest League, the high A Northwest League, Eugene Emeralds. They're, they're good for some uh, interesting stuff every year. Um, July 2nd is Merry Pranksters Night with jerseys. And that is a reference, I believe, to the Merry Pranksters of the you know, the countercultural late 60s, Eugene is a city with a strong, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, hippie aesthetic. Um, a lot of free thinkers out there, a lot of uh, very uh, left of center mentalities. So they're doing the Merry Pranksters Night um, in tribute to that era of, again, for lack of a better word to put it, hippie thought. I believe Merry Pranksters, was that like Ken Kesey was part of that? Well, maybe the electric Kool-Aid acid test. Um a lot of that uh, sort of stuff. So we need to look into that more, but jerseys surrounding that. Um, Those will be psychedelic. Yeah, psychedelic, hallucinogenic. Um, Interesting stuff going on there. Uh, That's July 2nd. Two months um, after that, September 4th, this is one of the Eugene Emerald's Copa Nights. Um, We've talked about it before, um, how they have the Monarca's identity. And uh, I believe we've mentioned that as one of our favorites among the Copa de la Diversion identities in minor league baseball. But September 4th, on one of their Copa nights, they're giving away a Cesar Chavez bobbleheads. So um, two, two people in, on the Eugene uh, calendar, Merry Pranksters. And then uh, two months later, September 4th, Cesar Chavez on a Copa night. I uh, get the Cesar now I just said Cesar Chavez, and then I see, said Cesar Chavez. Man, I got to get it straight in my mind. Cesar okay. Chavez, right? I yes. wonder if there has ever been a Cesar Chavez uh, bobblehead ever produced. Like, I wonder if if that has been a thing that, not even just in a minor league baseball game, that just seems so, uh, that's a crossover that I don't think a whole lot of people expect. I would a quick Google with- search appears to be no. Now we know there are a lot of like other Chavez's. There's like Andy Chavez, yeah. I'm sure. Eric Chavez, <laughs> Eric is, Chavez, is, 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 Andy Chavez is coming up a bunch as well. <laughs> I am not seeing any. Not Caesar Chavez. Yeah. So I desperately. That's a cool one. You said that was in September, Ben. September fourth, Eugene Emeralds. Yeah. 
All right. We're going to have to remember. I, I def- definitely want to get somebody on to talk about that. Yeah, but I don't I think we've crossover. seen too many more, uh, you know, kind of uh, rabble-rousing bobbleheads, uh, union solidarity bobbleheads, uh, you know, labor movement bobbleheads, that kind of thing. Um, so that is a, an interesting one to think uh, that a team is doing. Um, moving on to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. The Dash, as you guys know, before they were the Dash, uh, they were the Winston-Salem Warthogs. And uh, if you go to a Winston-Salem Dash game this season on a Wednesday, then lucky you because it's Warthog Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Every Wednesday, the Dash plays the Warthog. And uh, I just wanted to bring that one up because I think that's a pretty cool thing, uh, that, that previous identity. Um, they changed names in, what, 20 – well, in, in conjunction with moving to the new ballpark. which 2009. Was in, 2009. They changed – the year that they were supposed to move into the new ballpark and then they moved in the following year. So they played one weird orphan season at Ernie Shore field at uh, wake forest as the dash. Yeah. So you can get your uh, warthog fix on Wednesdays, warthog Wednesday. You got to love the alliteration and uh, check out that logo. If you've never seen it to see a baseball warthog logo. Um, Let's see the Hickory crawdads. You know, we've seen a lot of awful night promotions through the years. And I assume this is closer to an awful night promotion, um, which was originated with the Altoona Curve. But July 27th, night of horrible promotions. So I'm keeping that one circled. I like when teams try to subvert expectations and the weirder and darker, the better, in my opinion. So we'll see how far they go with that one. Um, They're also, again, with these kind of old school uh, ridiculous promos, backwards night on April 16th in Hickory, where they start in the ninth inning and play down to the first. Uh, one interesting detail about that one is said that the uh, players will be asking fans for autographs on backwards night. So uh, interesting to see how, how, how deep they take that concept or how into it the players will be. Uh, but I'm sure a couple of players can get in, get into it and go and ask, the, ask fans for some, uh, for some autographs on backwards night. Um, Brooklyn, you know, I still got to get in my head. Brooklyn is, uh, the Cyclones, a high A team and, uh, they got a lot of stuff. Talk about weekly promotions, you know, Winston-Salem, Warthog Wednesday in Brooklyn, world record Wednesday, every Wednesday going to attempt to set a world record. And I'm sure no, every Wednesday, every Wednesday is world record Wednesday. So, um, we'll see how deep they go with that. Um, you know, one thing I learned very on in my, uh, coverage of minor league baseball promotions is that almost every team world record attempt, whether it looks successful or not, doesn't, you know, almost none of them actually become world records because uh, Guinness is, I think justifiably in a lot of ways, but it's really expensive to have a world record verified. I mean, you need so much documentation. The best way to do it is to have one of their representatives on site, but you know, are you really going to pay to have a, uh, Guinness guy come, you know, verify your world's longest or world's largest game of, you know, head, shoulders, knees, and toes or that kind of thing. Um, So we'll see, but world record Wednesday, that's to me, I just like that as a concept. We'll see how deep they go with it, how hard they try to verify. But I think that's great because that just means every week, you know, every Wednesday and generally not a huge attendance day, but like, okay, I showed up at a game and I, I don't think the average fan will go to a game because it's world record Wednesday, but then you've got that story and with kids and like, well, we didn't know when we got there, but it was going to be the, you know, most people trying to blow a bubble at once, you know, and they handed out gum or whatever it is. You know, I think it's just a fun way to keep the crowd engaged and do something unexpected um, on uh, world record Wednesday night. Um, 
you know, I had to, I've never really seen Friends, so I don't get the references. Uh, Brooklyn, though, on July 9th, a turkey head bobblehead. So maybe you guys get that, <laughs> but there's going to be a turkey head bobblehead. The image the Cyclones have on, have on their promo page is I doubt what it will look like, but it was just like a human body and then it was just like a full frozen turkey like on yeah. the head. Maybe no, that's, that's what it will look no, like. That's, 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 that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, so who knew? Um, one more from Brooklyn, July 4th. You know, we've seen a lot of teams through the years um, do Bob elections, which are almost always like, you know, for presidential contests. Um, you have the two Republican, Democratic nominees available in bobblehead form, and uh, you choose which one you want. And then whatever candidate they run out of first is the winner of the Bob election. So I've never seen the Bob election applied to a non-political context, but July 4th in Brooklyn is a Bob election for America's favorite hot dog condiment. So you get to choose between a ketchup, mustard, or relish uh, bobblehead, and then they will win the Bob election. I would assume, you know, the, if you're betting, then of course, who wouldn't want to bet on a condiment-related Bob election, but I assume mustard would be the strong choice there, uh, especially in Brooklyn. That just seems like the solid one. What are uh, you two dudes voting for? Ketchup. Wow. Ketchup I mean, it's a good thing they're not doing this with like a Chicago affiliate because they were just being, right. Like, then it'd be like all sorts ha, of random, uh, some sort of pickled onions, and uh, we threw a chocolate bar on there and uh, corn kernels because nothing makes sense with a Chicago style hot dog. Literally a whole pickle. <laughs> A pickle that goes parallel to the hot dog. There's no relish. Literally a whole entire, pickle. Yeah. Well, not a whole. Okay. A pickle spear. Excuse You're me. Right I'm there. sorry. Yeah. Like, but yeah. Not sliced uh, and go, diced. Just I go mustard, parallel. by the way. I'm with Ben. I go mustard. Yeah, I go mustard. I, I have nothing against ketchup on a hot dog, but I don't go out of my way to do that. And I, I think that's yeah, the, it's uh, fine. Yeah, that's you know, no offense, Sam. I believe that's a little bit more of an immature choice. I was gonna say I have the palate of a six-year-old, so it's (laughs) fine. I've got chicken nuggets in my fridge right now. I'm not afraid to admit that. There's only one roll of uh, aluminum foil behind you though today. I'm disappointed. I thought about this and I was like, uh, I'm just gonna leave it. I think it's fine and no, don't worry. I have I have the second one over here, Tyler. So I love now doing this show. I love doing this show every week. I just want you both know. <laughs> ben, please continue. What else do we got? Um, you know, there's, as we mentioned before, there's been an increased emphasis uh, this season on, you know, not infringing on, uh, you know, licensed properties, trademarks and whatnot. Um, so April 21st, the Hudson Valley Renegades uh, have a calamari competition. And at first I was like, what is that? Then you think about it. Ah, they're paying tribute to Squid Games. Uh, Alamari competition. Ah. That could that could go downhill real quick. Interesting. I've been a little worried that teams were going to get into Squid Games. Like, there's some fun stuff you could do with it. Don't get me wrong, but that's ah. a that's a show about like people legitimately dying over capitalism. So yeah, it's true. Where, it's, where is this kind of ugly? Yeah, it's kind of ugly. I don't know how how uh, deep they'll take the concept, but there is a calamari competition on April twenty first. So huh. head to Hudson Valley and uh, and find out. They also have uh, what else do they have? They have quite a bit. They have a uh, 
a free wedding night on August 13th, which I believe means like you get married at the ballpark and they take care of every aspect of it. Um, you know, DJ, you got the venue right there, DJ, uh, you know, catering, uh, could be a way to save some money and do something memorable, a free wedding on August 13th. I should look into that one more. I don't know if they're giving away the free wedding then, or if it's going to be whoever won the free wedding gets to have it that day. But uh, free wedding, you know, those can get expenses and expensive in today's society, uh, I've been told. So uh, let's keep that one in mind. And let's see, one more from Hudson Valley, right? 420 is horticulture night with a flower pot giveaway. <laughs> yeah, snuck that one past the censors. Um, what else we got? What oh, else man. Are you telling me like there's not a, a fork? 20 promotion in one of these Oregon teams. Like that's a good point. You know, I didn't see is, I didn't is see his Hillsborough doing anything or that's a good point. I didn't see one in Hillsborough. No. Yeah, Eugene no, not to play into stereotypes. You know, I'm just Eugene just should be that's the Eugene is uh they are the prime spot for that. Maybe Going they're not a giant university. That could be. That could you know, be. like it's with these six game series now, everybody's not gonna be all the time. There's no minor league baseball team in Boulder, Colorado. So I feel like Eugene is the next smartest connection uh, <laughs> for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I didn't see too much of that. And uh, yeah, but where else do we go? We could go all the way to Appleton, Wisconsin. You know that the uh, Timber Rattlers always give away a ton of bobbleheads. They have like Garrett Mitchell, Sal Freelich, Corbin Burns, Devin Williams, Freddie Peralta, Mascot Fang playing kickball. Uh, dinosaur night with their other mascot, Whiffer, you know, on safari. Uh, Brottoberfest with a Joey Weimer bobblehead. Uh, so more bobbleheads on the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers calendar than just about any other team, including a Buttercup bobblehead for Utter Tuggers weekend, which is coming back. And Buttercup, I believe, is their cow mascot when they play as the Utter Tuggers. And we've talked about that uh, unique alternate identity in the past, for sure. Uh, Cedar Rapid, Rapids Colonels are going the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs route with uh, wearing bacon jerseys on I Love Pork Night, <laughs> July 8th. So if you're a fan of that, you know, hit it up. Uh, one thing I think is cool, uh, staying now in the high central, I mean, what was the high central and was now the Midwest League, and that's what it was before. You know what I'm saying. The high A Midwest League, Quad City River Bandits, um, you know, they're doing a whole series of hometown hero bobbleheads. So on separate occasions, they're just giving away a doctor bobblehead, a paramedic bobblehead, a nurse bobblehead, a firefighter bobblehead, and a police bobblehead. And uh, I think that's pretty cool to, uh, you know, coming into the first full season since uh, a lot of stuff has gone down in, in America and in all our communities, um, you know, to pay tribute with that series of bobbleheads. And I'm sure they'll have a lot of things surrounding those nights, you know, honoring those people as well. Um so I think that's a pretty cool bobblehead series going on in Quad Cities. And uh, I think that's about all I have for high A. But I will say, you know, we did the double A last week, but the Erie Seawolves, um, Erie Seawolves schedule was not yet out. They're a double A team uh, that was released earlier this week. I don't think I've ever seen a giveaway series related to like a prospect per se, but they have Torque Tuesdays all wow. season long. And so you get a Spencer Torkelson uh, jersey lunch bag, a tank top, a binder, a card set, a poster, a torque tank bobblehead. 
Um, so these are on Tuesdays all throughout the season, you know, all related to uh, Torkelson. And um, I don't think I've seen such an investment in, um, in a player on a giveaway front, at least at such a early stage of said player's career. Yeah, before he's even debuted. I mean, he was in Erie for, you know, a good portion of last season. So I'm sure he made an impact on everybody in that region. And, you know, being a former number one overall pick, that'll happen. But, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Like, they put a lot of eggs in that basket. Yeah, they very much did. And I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, but also with the Erie Seawolves, uh, their, their midweek matinee games are branded as Howl at the Noon with a corresponding logo of a wolf, like, howling at the sun. And I just think that's creative. I like to see, you know, teams go the extra mile, which is kind of branding specific days, having corresponding logos for it. And uh, I also like that they, uh, on their Howl-O-Ween weekend, uh, July 29th, the Erie Seawolves are playing as the, wait for it, Erie Seawolves. E- ah, oh, I was prepared for the Erie Werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would have been good too. Yeah, might not be too late. They could be the E E Erie. Well, they are wearing Frankenwolf hats and special theme jerseys. So, um, you know, give them a lot of credit for that creativity. So that's double. I know we were focused on high A, but that was a late arrival, Erie Sea Wolves. And uh, we'll pick up our promo talk uh, next week with the the lowest level, but certainly not the worst level because all levels are created equal in our eyes, at least from a uh, fan experience standpoint, we'll be moving on to single A. The final frontier. Single A. No longer low A. Single A. Yes. Single A. Yeah. It was class A, then it was low A, and now it's single A. It was class A full season. Not to be confused with class A short season. (laughs) Uh, And now it is just, yeah, single A. Right. Single A. We're learning still. Single A. It's like a Canadian pickup artist in a bar sidles up to the woman and says, single A. That was pretty good. I think we got to go out on that. Uh, You can check uh, your local team's promo calendar. Teams are uh, releasing those fast and furiously across the country. And, uh, yeah, next week, single A for our final installment, the week ahead of opening day, which is so exciting. Um, So... That'll uh, wrap up our opening segment on this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Great talking to you. Sam and I are chatting top 100. Josh Jackson will stop by the show, and we'll wrap things up coming up later. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash 
the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Well, moving along to some uh, MLB pipeline content, the top 100 prospects in baseball formally unveiled for 2022, as well as team top 30 lists. We're recording this on Friday, the 25th of March. So coming up on Monday, the American League West will be our final division to be unveiled, but the other five divisions of baseball uh, have been released. Uh, let's run through some of the highlights and uh, discuss the new top 100. We're going to go through the top 10 prospects. I'll give you the rundown on those. Uh, and they are led by shortstop slash third baseman Bobby Wood Jr., the Kansas City Royals, who uh, is expected to make his major league debut maybe by opening day, if not by opening day. I would say very early on into the season if he starts hot at AAA Omaha. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman is number two. Julio Rodriguez, friend of the show, along with the other two dudes, uh, and number four and number five uh, on this list. Julio, the outfielder in the Mariner system, is the third-ranked prospect in baseball. Spencer Torkelson, the corner infielder in the Detroit Tigers organization, checks in at number four. His Tigers teammate, Riley Green, the outfielder at number five. Then it's another Orioles prospect. Right-handed pitcher Grayson Rodriguez is number six. Gabriel Moreno, the Toronto Blue Jays catching prospect, the top catching prospect in baseball, is number seven. New York Yankees shortstop prospect Anthony Volpe continues his meteoric rise among prospect rankings uh, as the number eight overall prospect in baseball, the shortstop who was a first round selection in 2019. Padre shortstop prospect CJ Abrams is number nine. And Francisco Alvarez, the catching prospect, the New York Mets organization is number 10. So we've got two teams with multiple top 10 prospects, and those guys are all in the top six Baltimore with Adley Rushman and Grayson Rodriguez at two and six Detroit with Torkelson and green at four and five. If you expanded this out uh, to the top 11, the Mariners have two in the top 11 because they've also got Noel V. Marte, their shortstop prospect uh, at number 11. But Sam, you obviously did so much work as part of the group to build the top 100 and the top thirties uh, for these major league organizations in 2022. Let's hear your thoughts. Yeah. I think the big thing that, grabbed headlines beyond just what we wrote. And we knew this was going to happen when we released the list was there's a new number one. You mentioned Bobby Wood Jr. is now the number one prospect in baseball, according to our list. Now, it is a legitimate argument among the top three. Julio Rodriguez hasn't been ranked number one elsewhere, but he is definitely on that tier with Adley Rutschman and Bobby Wood Jr. Some other places have Rutschman number one overall. He was our number one overall prospect at the end of last season. Um, so what changed? It's not so much Rutschman losing the number one spot as much as it is with going up and grabbing it. You know, he finished last year at AAA, was a really, really special hitter there, was a 30-30 candidate, one of the closest 30-30 guys we've ever had or we've had in recent memory in the minor leagues um, following just a steal shy that he actually did steal. The game was just canceled and it didn't count, but he did steal 30 bases last year. Um he plays a really quality shortstop. He might be on the opening day roster, like you said, Tyler, for Kansas City at third base just because of organizational need. The arm's going to play there. He's super athletic. It's plus tools across the board, and I'm not joking about that. It, it was 60s at every spot except for power, which we went 70 with. And, you know, when I was going back and forth on this, you could argue that he was a 65, even 70-grade runner, too. He's just so efficient on the base pass and so fast. Um, which obviously helps him in his defensive work. He's just a really, really special talent. And when you look at what he's done offensively this quick in his career, um, jumping essentially from rookie ball to double A last year, uh, and he struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season, but really adjusted to double A and, and grew into it. And that was the biggest thing for me with him is the way he adjusted constantly. 
in 2021. This is not a player who's just like, hey, I'm I'm really good and I'm just going to make this work and I'm going to force myself in every situation. I, I know there's some questions about his contact rate and is he going to, you know, make enough contact at, at the next level to be a plus hitter. His strikeout rate went down. He went from double A AA to triple A. That doesn't happen very often. And it certainly doesn't happen for a player who's 21 years old right now. He's turning 22 in June. Um, so it was his age 21 season last year. Normally those guys are out of their depth at triple A. Bobby Wood Jr., every time he played, basically looked like the best player on the field at that young age, everywhere he went last year. Um, you know, we were debating amongst ourselves before we did this. We put it out for feedback. Uh, we got some feedback from other people that said, yeah, Witt is essentially taking that number one mantle. That's why we felt comfortable going with him at number one. We are not Adley Rutschman haters by any means, bumping into number two. There's only one guy who can be number two, and, and it's him. Um, it might be a gold glove caliber catcher right away when he makes the major leagues. Really, really special back there. Guys love throwing to him. Um, pretty much everybody in the or- Orioles organization loves throwing to him. The relationship he has with Grayson Rodriguez, the way they communicate and get the best out of each other is really, really special. Um, obviously a good switch hitting, hitting prospect as well. Um, has some pop, can be a plus hitter. Uh, maybe the power is a little bit of ahead of the hit tool, but he can be special on that side too. Like if he ever needed to move to first base, we would still think of him as a really good prospect because the bat is so good, but because he also brings a quality glove to a premium position at, at catcher, um, you know, he's just unrivaled when it comes to catching prospects right now. And this is a really, really deep catching prospect situation that we have on our hands going into 2022. Um, just quickly on Julio Rodriguez, I've mentioned this in other places, might be the best hitting prospect in the game right now if you just focus on the bat. Uh, we gave it his hit tool of 70. This is a guy who's hit 300 and above pretty much everywhere he's played so far in the minor leagues. He has the power to match it. That's a 65 tool right now. If you went 70, 70 on both, I wouldn't necessarily argue against you. Um, he's focused on trying to get faster, which is crazy uh, because he's already so good offensively. Like if he just morphed into a bat first profile, he would be super, super valuable at the top level. But I think he's really taken it on himself to the fact that the rest of us had said like, oh, well, he might not play certain field because he's not quite fast enough. I still don't think he will. I think he profiles so perfectly in right where his plus arm will play. Uh, and that's a little bit why we dinged him is that if he ends up in right field, you have to hit to provide value there. And we think he'll do that. But, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. hits as a shortstop and Natalie Rutschman hits as a catcher. Those are not hitting first uh, position. So the, their profile takes a, a leap above J-Rod. But if we look at this in 10 years from now and J-Rod is one of the best hitters, in all of major league baseball and uh you know is a perennial mvp candidate and we're sitting here thinking like oh man we missed the boat by not like ranking him first overall i wouldn't be surprised we when we did overall grades on these guys all three of them got 70s on the 20 to 80 scale nobody else did so we see them all in the same tier you could really rank them any way you want um it, it just came down to positional value for us i think in the end but all three are capable of being superstars, multiple time all-stars and franchise cornerstones in Kansas city, Baltimore and Seattle, which all three of them really need that. Um, Seattle is obviously closer to contention right now than Kansas city or Baltimore, but it feels like all three of those are ready to turn over the page here. And Whit Rutschman and Rodriguez are going to be big pieces of those puzzles in all three spots. Sam, when you look at um, guys who've made the most sizable leap 
to get into the top 100 this year. I know I mentioned Anthony Volpe, you know, coming out of the 2020 season, granted, we didn't have a minor league season in 2020, but going into last year, Anthony Volpe was barely a top 10 prospect in his own organization. He's now the top 10 uh, and top 10 overall prospect. I'm checking in at number eight overall, and he's the top ranked Yankees prospect. Is he the guy who's kind of had the biggest rise, the most helium in the uh, prospect evaluation parlance, or is there somebody else who's on the top 100 list who you look at um, as maybe who's made even a bigger jump? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it compared to the 2021 preseason list, then yeah, Volpe has is, is made the biggest jump. Um, looking at him last year, you know, we knew him as a first-round talent. Uh, I think the Yankees liked him even more than a lot of other people uh, going into the 2019 draft. But as we saw him last year, it was pretty clear that he had made significant strides offensively. Um, he went back home to New Jersey, worked with a hitting guru, um, really tapped into both his hit tool and his power tool. You know, you look at him, you might not think this is a clear power guy. He's five foot 11, 180. That's what he's listed at. Uh, but he showed plus power. He was right up there with, in terms of extra base hits across the minor leagues last year between low A and high A, single A and high A now. Um, you know, still on the younger side, just it, he plays a quality shortstop. Like they're, when we were doing our midseason list, we're like, okay, this guy might be a top 100 candidate. And then again, getting feedback, it just kept being, no, push him higher. Keep, keep going with him. Like he, he is really, really special. Uh, and, you know, we'll see what the Yankees do in the next couple of years. But at the beginning of the offseason, everybody thought they would be big players on the shortstop market. And they, that didn't end up happening. They end up making a trade with Minnesota to pick up kind of a, sh- a short-term stopgap at shortstop. Uh, you know, a kind of Falefa, I don't mean to disparage him that way, but that's what it feels like. Right. And they also have Peraza in that system was a gifted defensive shortstop, but it kind of feels like they're waiting for Volpe. They're keeping the seat warm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, they were the high people on him from the beginning. And I think he even surprised them with the way he took off last year. He'll be challenged this year. He's going to reach the upper minors for the first time. and, And now he has that target on his back, maybe in a way that he didn't. When he started out last year in Tampa, but he made a significant jump for sure. The, the other one I want to throw out there real quick, just focusing on this top 10 is Gabriel Moreno um, from the Blue Jays system. Yeah. He was one of those guys where we kind of had whispers going into last year that, Hey, the alternate site, this guy was really good. Don't be surprised if something big happens. And it's like, okay, great. But we haven't seen it yet. 2020 was so weird for prospect evaluation in many ways. Um, not everybody got to see everybody. The things you hear sounds great, but you know, it, it could be a lot of smoke. You didn't know until the season started last year. Moreno, it felt like every night, when those first couple of weeks when we were following him, he was doing something at AA New Hampshire that was really special. I think he ended up slugging above 600 there. Uh, a thumb injury kept him out for most of the year. He ended up making up for a little bit of lost time in the Arizona Fall League. But he was already a pretty good catching prospect. He's athletic back there. He actually when he signed with the Blue Jays, was an infielder. Um, and he's gotten a little bit of time at third base just to tap into that athleticism. But now that the fact that he's starting to hit, he could be a plus hitter, above average power, kind of the same thing we were saying with Rutschman. If he played another position, we would still think of him as a top 100 prospect because the bat is so good. The fact that he plays a quality uh, you know, catcher it only helps him, and, and that's what makes him number seven right now uh, and really put him on the map last year. And I feel pretty comfortable saying he, amongst the Blue Jays' catching depth right now, including who's in the major leagues with Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire and Alejandro Kirk. Moreno has the highest ceiling. He's probably going to be their backstop by June or July. 
Uh, it's just he needs to get regular at-bats. He hasn't really seen AAA much. He'll do that quickly, and if he hits like he, we expect him to, the Blue Jays have all these pieces in place right now to be real contenders this, this year. Moreno is going to be just as big a piece when they do add him officially, probably in the first half. And, oh, by the way, Matt Chapman at third base now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you look at that infield now. It is. They are loaded. Ooh. Loaded. Yeah. Uh, Matt Chapman's the only one who didn't have a big league dad. Everybody else. Gavin Biggio, Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr. I don't know Matt no. Chapman's dad. Maybe he, maybe he did have a good career. I'm not quite as familiar with him as, you know, I spent my entire childhood behind Bo Bichette's dad watching him. So which he apologized to me for once, said, oh, yeah, our season ticket's right behind you in left field. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, you had to watch that. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, Dante Bichette is just a great dad. He's he's a great dude. Just from what we've seen from afar and and talking to Bo and stuff like that. But I I remember going to see uh, Buffalo play in Scranton and just there was somebody waiting by the bus. And I'm like, that's that's Dante Bichette, Dante just Bichette. looking like a dad. Yeah. yeah, just looking like a dad, wanting to go see his son. The baseball right. dad. It's pretty cool yeah. stuff. Um, all right, Sam, one question that I know you guys always get, um, and I'm going to kind of vorp it. Vorp it. Um, I don't even know. I was thinking of Volpe, and then I was thinking of Morph, and it kind of works because uh, I'm going to – you'll see why. Who just missed out on the top 100? And if you had to project a Volpe-like or similar – rising star for 2022 somebody for people to keep an eye on who's not in the top 100 right now who would it be all right so i'll take your first part of the question first um just you know i I wrote the story on on who just missed and some of the the people we were getting you know feedback on and and um you know you you only have 100 spots and we could have probably gone 110 of guys we want highlighted um but just off the top of my head jeremy pena um shortstop for the astros Kind of everybody assumes he's going to be the heir apparent to Carlos Correa in Houston. Um, he's had some recent injury issues, but uh, before that wasn't much of a power hitter, seemed to really turn it on recently in that regard. We just needed to see it a little bit longer, but he's a really, really quality defender at short. Um, so if he hits even a little bit, it's going to work out. But I think, you know, I, there are some believers in his power out there and thought he uh, belonged on that list for sure. Um, Curtis Mead of the Tampa Bay Rays system. I'm a big fan of his. He had his own meteoric rise last year. I'm not going to say he's going to make another jump because he's very squarely on the top 100 list now. The guy can flat out hit. He did it everywhere last year, and that includes a very short stint at AAA. He was at single A. He was at high A. He hit in the Arizona Fall League where he had a long hit streak. I love watching him hit because he he's from Australia, first off. So, Tyler, I'm sure you're a fan of his. Um, but took him in our draft. That's right. That's right. Stolen right um, back ahead of you. I was so angry about that. I'm still angry <laughs> to this day. Uh, if you watch him hit, he literally just stands kind of straight in the box. There's yeah. not much movement going on no, there. It's, he's got a very smooth. Um, there are not a lot of complications with his swing. Yeah. And, and that comes from his dad who played in the Australian baseball league when it wasn't known as well as it is now. And it was not much of a budding sport down there back in those days, but he was just like, Hey, just stand tall in the box, make sure you can see the ball adequately. And when it comes, hit it and hit it as hard as you can. And he does a really good job of that. Um, we'll see how the power is going to play. I have some questions about him defensively, but if, if he's back to hitting 300 this year, at double a, like he's going to be a top 100 prospect pretty quickly when we need replacements. Um, one guy who probably won't make it on because he's going to graduate before we can move him on is Aaron Ashby of the Milwaukee Brewers. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of his. He picked up velocity last year. The, the slider is really good for him. He's got a quality changeup. So there's three pitches there for him to start. Milwaukee brought him up. They moved him up and down a bunch of times last year, but they kept him up latter half of the season as a reliever. Uh, they've talked this spring about wanting to move him back into a starting role. They've had success with that in the past. Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, guys who have gotten a little bit of time in the, the bullpen before becoming starters. Could he be that next guy? We'll see. The only reason we held him off is because the control isn't quite good enough to say like he's definitely going to be a starter. Um, but if it tightens up even a little bit, he has the pitches to be that guy. And then Brandon Williamson, uh, another one I want to, want to touch on real quick. Pitcher traded from the Seattle Mariners to the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, gives the Reds another tall left-handed pitcher. But he has four quality pitches. Um, really bumped up his stock last year in the Mariners system. All the pieces are there for him to start. He doesn't necessarily have the longer track record that we wanted to see out of some of these other pitchers. But, um, yeah, the Put him next to Lodolo, put him next to Hunter Green. That's a pretty good trio for the Cincinnati Reds now. And I'm fascinated to see how they mold him now that he's in that system. But, uh, yeah, another guy who just missed. In terms of your question of, like, who could be the Volpe this year, I don't know. I don't want to say. You didn't necessarily say him last year because I didn't. it's That's, surprising guys. Right. I, like, trying to predict that is yeah, a fool's errand because if yeah. it's somebody we really believed in, he would be a top 100 guy. And, you know, like there, there are some guys I want to bang the table for, like Joey Weimer of the Milwaukee Brewers. He snuck on at number 100 just because I love the way his tools play. Guy plays crazy on the field, like 110% effort all the time. Uh, throws hard, hits hard, runs hard, plays defense hard. We just haven't seen it at the upper levels yet, and there's some questions of, like, his tornado-like swing. Somebody's going to take advantage of that. But if, if he hits – like he should, like he's tooled all the way up and could be a top 50 guy by the end of the year. But even he's now a top 100 guy at the very, very end of the list. So um, I'll, I'll kind of leave it open-ended. I want to be surprised. All I right. love that's, that, that's the thing I love about this job is you can talk to a bunch of people. You can study a bunch of people. You can watch a ton of video. Somebody's going to make an adjustment that we haven't seen yet and put them, themselves squarely on our radar. And I like that. Good for them. Like it, it shows you just how unpredictable this sport really can be. And if it was predictable, it wouldn't be fun. I'm with you. You can check out the new top 100, all the top 30s uh, by Monday. The American League West will be out as well. Uh, and those are all, of course, at MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, we will step aside for this uh, penultimate segment. Hear from Josh Jackson coming up in a moment. And uh, back to wrap it up on the other side. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back 
to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was the pride of a small town. The others were the delusions of a small man. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Sherman Orphans. B. The Wheeling Bachelors. C. The Pocatello Mourners. You can stop your weeping and a wailing if you guessed A. The Sherman Orphans, who were all alone in the Texas Southern League way back in 1895. Far from alone in their name, those early orphans shared a moniker with many miners' clubs and one major league one throughout the late 19th century and into the middle of the 20th. Orphan teams had often been abandoned by their fans, by their parent clubs, or, like the Chicago Colts, who became the orphans in 1898, by a star player. In Chicago's case, the departure of Cap Pop Anson made the team the Orphans for five seasons until they became the Cubs in 1903. But our Sherman Orphans were left on our doorstep without so much as a note of their origin. 1895, the year Sherman was the Orphans, was the very first year of the Texas Southern League. However, an 1894 article in the San Antonio Daily Light bemoaning that the Lone Star State was about to begin yet another baseball season without a professional circuit after the demise of the Texas League in 1892 did mention Sherman, a town about 50 miles north-northeast of Dallas, as an amateur baseball hub. So, who orphaned the orphans? It may be a mystery of history. But we know for sure the Sherman Club tried to be their opponent's daddy in 1895, although ultimately it was the orphans who hollered uncle. In May, papers in league cities like Fort Worth, San Antonio, and Austin described the Sherman team as dropping in to fatten their percentage in the league races, pounding the ball quite heavily, and the orphans are good ballists. They did also have William Klondike Douglas, who, at six feet tall, was no little orphan. Annie served a stint as manager before beginning a big league career in 1896, playing for the Browns and the Phillies over nine years. But after a strong open to the season for Sherman, nobody would give the orphans any more, and they met a gruel fate, finishing 53 and 64, fourth out of eight. The franchise started the next year as the Sherman students, but like always, school allowed out in June and the team disbanded. And that's all of the turns and all of her twists for the orphans. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these once hot-button political put-downs was put on a uniform in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Victoria Roundheads. B. The Muhlenberg Mossbacks. C. The Columbia Commies. Want to know the answer? Vote! Or tune in to the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is drying the laundry in a spring breeze, and he's three sheets in the wind. Say goodbye on this week's episode of the show before the show 
podcast. Uh, I don't know. You got nothing else. No, I mean, like next week, it'll be the last week of the offseason. Yeah, next week will be our opening day preview. We'll have an idea of where some guys, well, kind of, I guess. Kind of. It will be the, I think we'll talk about this more, Tyler. I still want to do the opening day. (laughs) This is episode 350, not 351. Yeah. Right. Right. I get it. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a a larger opening day preview at some point the following week. But it'll be, you know, like you say, like hopefully we'll have a slightly clearer picture of where, guys are are going to land and where they're going to be starting the year and you know we'll have low a promotions with ben and there might be some other announcements that are coming um that will affect minor league baseball uh before opening day nothing rule changes a tease yeah a little bit of they say yeah interesting uh april 5th opening day for spring or for uh for triple a um the rest of the levels of the minors will open that's a tuesday Rest of the levels of the minors will open on Friday, April 8th. And uh, you can get your tickets now for minor league games across the country. Head to MILB.com and find your favorite team there. And uh, big thanks, everybody, uh, for hanging out with us today on this 350th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. For Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, and Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon, and we will talk to you next week. Oh,